podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Myself in this position on Friday evening, opening the Monday show in such a fantastic mood. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, I'm joined by my very good friend, Adam, and the man whose house I am most jealous of in the world. <laughs> Would you like to introduce yourself from Mon Sportif? It is... Uh, it's Charles here uh, from Mon Sportif. I should say, buonasera a tutti. Hello to everyone. Good evening. I'm the only one on our podcast who can speak more than one language. So, nice. good times. We picked the right one. We picked <laughs> the right one. That's good to hear. Adam, how are you doing, man? You good? I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, Wickham secured a very good win. Uh, one of I our fans became that. a meme as well. I don't know if you saw the image that I retweeted, but it's basically a bloke on his phone and his missus does not look impressed. Was that the Wickham game? <laughs> that's the Wickham game. So yeah, that's going to go around the world. Uh, but more importantly, mate, I'm doing really well. The weather's really nice here in the UK and I hear in Milan it's 29 degrees, which is mental. But more importantly, mate, how are you doing as well? I am very, very good. Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. Uh, enough hot weather. <laughs> I want to I, I wanna feel Christmas now. I want to feel winter. Um, but... Um, I do need to kind of explain the intro and why I would be so jealous um, of your house. Can you please explain to the listeners why I'm so jealous of your house? Right, right. So it's worth saying to everyone, I'm an Arsenal fan. So, uh, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're a Man City fan, maybe turn away, come back in five minutes. But uh, yeah, so I live right outside the Emirates Stadium, uh, which is glorious. I've lived here for about 10 years. Uh, and finally, it's probably worth living outside, which is great. <laughs> I mean, it's been a little bit of pain, but, but here we are. So, yeah, I see it not only, uh, you know, season tickets in the stadium, but also the ability to to see all that nice warm up and get the atmosphere as it goes on. It is. It's something I've seen on your Instagram a lot, not in a stalkery way. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> God damn, that view is incredible. The view is incredible. But we're just going to kick it off. I'm not going to do any intro or anything. We're just going to go into it because it's exceptional circumstances, I think. And we're going to talk about after 12 matches and eight, 2015, eight long years, um, Arsenal have finally beaten Manchester City in the Premier League. I was thinking about back to when we last beat them. I was living in Poland, which is two <laughs> countries ago now, and I was in my mid-20s. I was like, this is, time is a cruel mistress. But Arsenal did win, and we had our man in the stadium. Um, can you tell us just, from the first half, the atmosphere looked very, very nervy. I was nervous at home. Was it a nervous place to be in? Yeah, look, it was it was really tense. So, you know, a, a big side like Arsenal, you're normally in your home games, you, you kind of feel like you're going to win. You've obviously got the crowd who get right behind the team. The kind of football Arsenal play, whether they're at the top of the league or mid-table, is, is quite attractive on the eye. But yesterday, it was really, oh, it was a bit tense. There was an element of two very well-set-up teams just cancelling each other. And I've seen a lot of people say the football wasn't that high a calibre or it didn't deliver on what people expected. But actually, it was kind of a privilege to see two really well set up teams, not the kind of, you know, promoted team who just mm -hmm. want to get a nil or draw, but genuinely well set up teams who wanted to play their own game. It just happens that they've got the same game today. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I think the phrase that's been thrown around is the chess match, isn't it? Now, I think obviously I was sat watching it and I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. I was gripped. But Adam, as a neutral, was it as entertaining for you? Because I'd love to see a timer of just how long players were stood with the ball at their feet with no one else moving. Because it felt like it was 15 minutes. 
it wasn't the most prettiest game in the world. Let's put it this way. I'm sure you you kind of reminisced afterwards about how it was great to get that victory over mm-hmm. the board. Um, I know of a Man City friend of mine who's a season ticket holder. He was very nervous about this match because of just the amount of people they had out for this match. So he was quite happy if they would have gone out with a draw and it looks like it was going that way. But I think one of the things that stood out quite clearly was Man City didn't really offer too much. And I think that's praise to, I suppose, how Arsenal dealt with the forward lines and the kind of tacking plays, but Man City did. Um, But also to a degree, I felt like, you know, Arsenal weren't as attacking at times and they almost mm. it almost felt like and I was going to put it as part of our preview or review of the game was almost if you swap the two forwards for both sides so i.e. Haaland plays for Arsenal and Jesus plays for Man City it almost felt like those two would have blended in really well for both sides because in the second half in particular Arsenal needed someone just to hold up the ball in that kind of final third and they were struggling to kind of build up anything in terms of attacks whereas you know with Man City, we know they just need a midfielder, someone that can just mm-hmm. cause a distraction and you know pull players out of position. But I think that's testament to Arteta. He knew that that's what's going to happen. And I think they were quite regimented, I think, the defence mm-hmm. in that respect. So fair play. I think if anyone's going to cost you the match, it was going to be Raya. And luckily, he didn't have too many displaced passes for this one. Mm. Almost, almost though, Rory. Well, this is something I wanted to ask um, Truck about as well, is that mm. I tweeted first half saying, just please um, bring back Ramsdale, I'm begging, because <laughs> my, my nerves were absolutely shot. But I think Raya really grew into the game. But were you nervous with his performance at the beginning? Because I thought this is a moment, now Gary Neville was absolutely piling it on on commentary, but this is a moment that potentially could, like dictate a season or dictate a narrative hugely like were you nervous about his performances as well yeah i, I so i mean it's worth saying to everyone I, i'm i'm wearing a, a retro mm-hmm. keepers kit i'm definitely in the keepers union um and, and i like ramsdale I, mm-hmm. he's he's yeah, a big too. fan favorite and i'd be wrong in saying he didn't have a couple of bad mistakes maybe over the space of about a season, but he's had some great saves as well. With Raya, though, it's a different kind of mistake. So I felt with Ramsdale, it's been about his positioning mm-hmm. and maybe not being in the right place, being a bit uncomfortable coming forward and having that high line. That's something that, that Raya's fantastic at. But ball at feet, I it's not arrogant, but there's an element of playing it too cool. And I think he did that a couple of times. I, I would say there was, um, it never made the highlights package. So, so anyone who didn't watch the game, uh, there were a couple of times where um, Julian Alvarez um, did well to get a deflection and it nearly went mm-hmm. in. There was also an absolutely filthy two-footed tackle. Uh, it was either from Alvarez or, or mm-hmm. Bernardo Silva where they didn't connect with the ball coming out from Raya's feet. But the guy just launched himself. Um, it was horrific. I almost mm-hmm. wanted him to make contact with him so we'd get... Um, playing against 10 men. Uh, but that we'll get on to that. Happen, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll get on um, to that. But no, I, I thought I thought Rai was all right. I thought he grew into confidence. And actually, mm-hmm. the thing that really unnerved me was when Man United played against Arsenal, um, there was a moment where our attackers did an incredibly good job of pressing by not attacking the keeper. And he didn't mm-hmm. know what to do with the ball at his feet, Anana, that is. Um, Man City did kind of similar with Raya, where he, he basically just stood on the ball without the ball moving for... 10 seconds, 15 yeah, seconds. Yeah. That's nervy, isn't it? I don't know if I'm comfortable <laughs> with that, but yeah. he, he got a clean sheet. Well, this is it. And I feel like it, 
there's a lot of like, and kind of going to what Adam said about the performance as well, we were much more sensible and defensively we seem much more structured now. So I think he has to make less saves than Ramsdale had to make last year. He's not been called into action as much, but I do also think that his calmness and his positioning for catching crosses is amazing. He just cuts mm-hmm. balls out straight away. He always seems to catch them. I think there was a few moments where the ball came across the, bo- the box and he just takes it and it's done. Whereas I think Ramsdale maybe dives at it and I think he has a bit of a more of a calmness. But yeah, the beginning of the game, I was very, very nervous for him. I think Arteta clearly talked to him and gave him encouragement at half time. Like, no, you're doing exactly what I want you to do. Just don't let the Arsenal fans get nervy because they get nervy at the drop of a hat, like, and it gets quite, mm. quite contagious. Um, but let's talk about the red card or the, the, the not red card before we kind of give flowers to Arsenal fans, uh, or Arsenal players even. Um, Kovacic, Adam, what on earth does he have to do to be sent off? I thought the first <laughs> one was a red card for him not to be sent off for the second one. Look, Michael Oliver was in the UAE getting paid to referee games. That's I was all gonna I'm say, saying. I was gonna say, there's a lot of conspiracy theories. <laughs> on this one now haven't there um no genuinely if we're saying last week's curtis jones one is a clear red card then i see no reason why this isn't but even if you call the first one as being a yellow card then certainly the second one should have been also a second yellow i see it um i don't know how he's managed to stay on the pitch um and I just, it's just baffled once really i just mm-hmm. don't understand it I, I think you know Man City players were getting really riled up. Obviously, Charles mentions about uh, Bernardo Silva and he was on the yellow card. This is a bit that I felt like maybe Arteta might have exploited a little bit more was get those players to really push those players that were on the mm-hmm. yellow cards and really try and get to a man disadvantage. But then you kind of think, well, they're just going to be more compact and harder to beat. So potentially he played it right. But yeah, Kovacic should have definitely been sent off in my eyes. Mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, I, I honestly couldn't yeah. believe it. I honestly couldn't believe it. But I think, and I'll go to you, Charles, like, I think the team really responded to it in the right way, though. Because after, I think it's possible for the team to lose their heads and be like, oh, it's not going to be our day again. But I think after that, the crowd got up and the team definitely yeah. started to push a bit. Did you feel that? Yeah, definitely. There's always an energy when you feel the, the ref's gone against you. I, I think one of the issues, um, I always kind of debate in my own head or, or you know, in my uh, circle of Arsenal friends, it genuinely very rarely feels like Arsenal get the rub of the green being the home side. <laughs> yeah. And I can't work out whether actually all teams go through this. It's when you only watch your own team, you feel really hard done by, but actually mm-hmm. everyone's getting screwed. Um, it was the nature of the Kovacic tackles. It, I don't mind a slightly high stud or letting you know a player know you're there, but they were just so unnecessary, both of them. It, mm-hmm. it was no chance he was ever getting the ball. The one on Declan Rice, it's just really yeah, weird yeah. tackle to make mm. because it's not going to slow down play. It didn't stop him playing the pass. It's just unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, when Jorginho very early on got a yellow card and a little too prematurely, I, I can't remember what minute it was, but yeah, it felt yeah. like first 10 minutes, I was already a bit nervy about Jorginho being on the pitch, if I'm honest, even though he's actually <laughs> he played quite well. Calm, he played very well. Yeah, but yeah. I've just... I don't know. It just yeah. doesn't feel safe. Um, maybe years of hating him at Chelsea. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but when he got that yellow, it, you feel a bit hard done by when you think it's not even a warning. Didn't particularly stop that aggressive an attack from City. You you could give that as the mm-hmm. warning one. So for Kovacic not to get the same, yeah, it felt a bit weird. But how nice is it to to beat a side fair and square with a clean yeah. sheet with 11... 11 men on the pitch. Well, this is it. And I think if he does go off, and I, before I just say this, I was convinced that we would now lose 1-0 and uh, Kovacic <laughs> would score the goal. I was just like, right, that's it. We've lost. Good work. But 
I think the narrative now, I prefer it much more because the narrative would be City fans just going, oh, well, we were down to 10 men and that's why you lost. Mm. We'll see you at the Etihad. Whereas we beat them fair and square. We had a tactical plan that was pulled off to perfection. And I think I've seen a lot of Arsenal fans on Twitter, which is probably the worst place to see Arsenal fans, but complaining about how boring this season is compared to last season. But I'll tell you what, I would take it hands down. So I think last year was an incredible ride. It was emotion. It was just a dream. But mm. we all knew that we would have to be more sensible at some point and that we would have to calm down and be more rational and approach games with plans and not give away stupid chances. And it feels like this is really the focus of the team now, especially with our business in the in the summer as well. Like, don't forget, Timber should be in this team, really. He's another player that allows you just more defensive solidity. Declan Rice, I cannot, like, I knew he was class at West Ham. And my mate, Tom Wayne, friend of the show, gets mentioned every show at the minute. He is really annoying. <laughs> that Arsenal fans would be uh, uh, claiming that Declan Rice is amazing now he was at Arsenal. He was always amazing, but I am still surprised at just how good he is. The thing that shocked me about him is just how professional he is. Mm. Like he's just everything about him is how a good footballer should be. You know he's going to be the kind of person who trains hard, yeah. who has something to say in the dressing room. Mm. Just very professional, never chats back to the ref. You know, just a proper footballer. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah, what a, what a it, it's a testament to him. Eight games in, no one's really talked about his price tag. Yeah. Like yeah. that shows yeah. maybe maybe worth something. Um, can I take an opportunity, by the way? Um, mm. This uh, you you publish way more regularly than Monday Sportif. I have to do a fortnightly show with them, which means I never get to give out my favorite award, which is the weekly lifetime achievement award. Okay, uh, go or, for it, or, or Wooler, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so uh, a special mention to Nathan Aki's face. Oof. Um, what, a, <laughs> what a finish, like Mustafi levels. Um, very impressed, very impressed. It, it was to perfection. And considering he missed the chance in the first half, so he definitely improved his finishing in the second <laughs> half, which is always nice to see. Um, but let's talk about individual performances. Declan Rice, I think, stood out hand, head and shoulders above most. But Adam, I'm going to go to you. Mm -hmm. William Saliba, top five centre-backs in the world. He walks into any team at the moment. Discuss. It's probably hard to not include him in the conversation because um, I think I had a very similar conversation about a different centre-back, which we'll go into later on in the show. But certainly I feel like, yeah, he's probably up there because of what he's probably done with France as well. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I'm struggling personally. I mean, the one player that I do think is a really good defender is Militao at Real Madrid. I mm -hmm. think that's yeah, yeah. the kind of standard <laughs> that I kind of go by. But I think Saliba's just blossoms and grown over the last two seasons given the kind of backdrop of he was loaned out as well and you weren't too sure whether he'd still be an Arsenal player and to get him back from Marseille from that loan spell and boy as he kicks on so yeah what a bit of business that was now and him signing that four-year contract is absolutely massive it's just mm -hmm. insane um but I think him and Charles I'll go to you Gabriel doesn't get the credit he deserves I think Saliba is like He's getting all the plaudits, and rightfully so, but I think him and Gabriel are arguably behind City, the best centre-back partnership in the league now. Like, Why do you think Gabriel gets ignored? Because people just don't notice it. Um, I suspect he's not the brightest man in the world. So I, I, I feel like... <laughs> it's quite way, possible. <laughs> I, I feel the way the way Saliba holds himself, there's an ice <clears throat> coolness to him, mm -hmm. and you think, you know, he dresses well off the pitch. He doesn't really do that many interviews, and when he does kind of mumbles something quite poetic um and it's kind of easy to go do you know what what a what a great 
Gabriel, I just remember him losing his tooth every game uh, about two seasons ago. <laughs> he kept on getting his fake tooth knocked out. So uh, I suspect he's a bit of a bit of a clown off the pitch, and yeah, therefore yeah. it's hard to give him that credibility of like, wow, you've worked really hard, you've upped your game, you've listened to Arteta, done all that. But he's mm. he's incredible, right? His mm-hmm. work rate is phenomenal. His fitness levels to keep running back and forth. I'd say he does a lot more attacking uh, mm. than Saliba does. Um, he quite often has to uh, pick up the the slack that Zinchenko leaves on the left when he kind yeah, of inverts yeah, or comes massively. up. Um, but as a partnership, it's fantastic. And you only have to look back to the first two games of the season where Gabriel didn't start. Not only to see fans' reactions of going, you know, what's happening here, but the performance level has gone up at mm-hmm. Arsenal and it's such a, a better settled defence and all-round kind of package now that Gabriel's back. Um, so yeah, I'm, Rolls-Royce partnership, mm-hmm. very happy with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just needs to start winning stuff now. Yeah. Um, yeah, like it. Touch wood, fingers crossed. But the last last thing I want to mention is the goal as well. Um, genuinely well taken by Martinelli. He made a difference when he came onto the pitch. Mm-hmm. Absolute like live wire every time he comes on. He is another player I think doesn't get the credit he deserves. He got 15 goals in the Premier League last season. He's one of the best left wingers in the league. Um, but I also wanted to talk about Adam, are we going to see Tommy Asu as a centre-forward going going on from here? Because <laughs> that was a tactical tweak I did not see coming. But what a bring-down and what a run. Yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. It clearly distracted the Man City team, didn't it? Because they weren't <laughs> expecting it. Um, but yeah, I think I forgot about Martinelli not being on the pitch up until that point. Because obviously, again, Arteta was quite clever. He kind of stuck with kind of solid, trackable players, I'd say, you know, do the defensive duties and obviously he kind of had it in his mindset last 20 to half an hour minutes on the clock that just inject that kind of pace. I think if obviously Saka was fit, it might have been a different story perhaps in terms of the lineup. But I think he played a masterstroke by getting Gabriel Martinelli not to start off and obviously inject that pace. And I think that really did kind of hamper Man City. They just didn't have the personnel to deal with him. And I think in that very instance, it was just a sucker punch to them because you saw how they kind of were really deflated and they couldn't really react to it in time because there was, what, four minutes left of normal time before it went into injury time. And yeah, Arsenal just managed the time really well. So fair play, but yeah, really good. And like you say, to your point, yeah, he's very underrated. Unfortunately, it's just because of who he is, I think, sometimes. yeah, And because Saka's on the other side, he gets all the yeah. headlines, I think. But we need to talk about City. Obviously, they were missing Rodri. They were missing Kevin De Bruyne, two huge mm. misses. So the midfield from last season of um, Rodri, De Bruyne and Gundogan, none of them played. I think that makes a huge difference. But Massive, I do yeah. think Pep needs to find a way to get the most out of Haaland because everyone's making a lot of... And I know that's stupid to say because he scored a lot of goals, but in the last couple of games, without Kevin De Bruyne, without the width, they played with zero width, no crosses coming into the box. Haaland had nothing to feed off, nothing to really do. Obviously, his overall play wasn't great. I don't think his hold-up play was particularly great. His playmaking wasn't great. But, Charles, do you think that Pep needs to find a plan B? Because that's three games now. Newcastle in in the Carabao Cup, Haaland did sod all. Like, does he need to find alternatives to get the most out of this? Because he was completely, he was as anonymous as Enketia was on the pitch. Like we could have switched forwards and it wouldn't have made a difference. Yeah. Uh, Harlan's a bit of a weird one, isn't he? Um, I often kind of remark on him. I don't think anyone's ever excited to see him play. So, you know, he's a machine. We love the stats. That's the best thing about him. Everyone goes, wow, like goal a game. And he's played like, you know, a thousand games. Good for him. But I don't know anyone who goes, oh, his brand of football. It's just so attractive on the eye and full of those team goals. You know, it's basically you, you 
you, they kind of lump it somewhere into him, yeah. and he breaks the net from six yards out with his head, with his feet, a flying volley, doesn't matter, and does a goal yeah, celebration. Yeah. But he, he's not really, um, he's not really a team player. But, I mean, no. he's impressive. I love him. Mm-hmm. He's great. But um, yeah, they do need something different. But isn't isn't you know what a world we live in where people can start mentioning injuries as Man City as though it matters, as if they haven't bought like three squads. It's the first time I've ever heard anyone suddenly go, oh, they didn't have so-and-so. Nearly every team in the Premier League who faces them doesn't have mm-hmm. so-and-so. It's only that they're losing now. I think it's the first time in five years they've had back-to-back losses. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for a hat-trick in the next one. So, yeah. <laughs> Fingers, fingers crossed. We're actually going to leave the game there now, I think. We've done 20 minutes. I also just want to say, um, I'm not condoning this behaviour, but Samir Nasri was apparently in the stadium yesterday <laughs> and an Arsenal fan took umbrage to this and tried to attack him. Um, wow. I'm not condoning this, but I also don't know who invited Samir Nasri back into the stadium. Yeah. We don't want him one. back. Um, and also a last final, final word on Kyle Walker getting rattled by the Arsenal coach, which yeah. was just... Oh, beautiful to see. The way Man City behaved at the Emirates last year when they beat us, they kind of had this coming. So I'm absolutely delighted that Jorva tried to do the Spalletti and force a handshake. And uh, Kyle (laughs) Walker had to get ushered out by an ex-Marine, which is always great to see. Um, So we're going to leave Man City Arsenal there. Absolutely beautiful. Love that. Um, Adam, we're going to go to Old Trafford, where Mm. youth product Scott McTominay (laughs) and Scottish superhero um, manages to bring some of his international form back to Old Trafford and gets the equaliser and the winner. Mm -hmm. Um, How many cracks does this paper over for Manchester United? I mean, it's not even like toilet paper on those cracks, is it really? To be (laughs) fair, it's that bad. Um, but yeah, Man United were absolutely terrible at this game. Um, Casemiro for the first one. I mean, how easily he gets displaced for that kind of pass. And, you know, when you're thinking about the two people that rescued you were the players that you were going to sell, so Maguire as well as McTominay, um, that kind of tells you its own story. We've been saying it for weeks, though. We just don't understand what Ten Hag is trying to create down there. There's no kind of style of football with him. And it doesn't seem a bit like what we've said with Pep Guardiola and the plan B. I, I don't see anything. He's just chucking players and hoping it sticks, really. Mm-hmm. There doesn't seem to be kind of a understanding amongst the players. Mason Mount, again, looks lost. Um but, I mean, even Rashford, I, I think the fact that he got the loudest cheer for coming off in place of Garnacho <laughs> kind of tells you how bad the position is. And, you know, Rashford is kind of seen as the kind of focal point for Man United. Um, but that goes to credit, you know, to Brentford, I suppose, as well. They were unfortunate on this occasion, um, but they were dawdling for that second goal. I mean, they just mm. lost the markers. And for some reason, Scott McTominay kind of, is there just to be kind of heading the ball. And that's, you know, Stark Hauser, who was kind of brought in for the goalkeeping position. He actually had a really good game, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It's just the defence yeah, in yeah, front yeah. of him. And w- what I was described by um, a neighbour that actually turned up at that match was Brentford kind of, as soon as the first one came in, they just retreated even further mm-hmm. back, which caused, I think, the mayhem for them, for especially for that second goal. So, Man United very fortunate on the day, um, but I don't think they get away with it any other time. I think if no. there's a better team against them who've got more kind of nous about them, I think they don't even go away with a single point, mm-hmm. I'd say. Uh, 
to stick up for McTominay, I think when he came on, he did what no other United player had done for the 90 minutes, yeah. which was run into the box and try to score. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. He was, he yeah. provided energy, gave a bit of dynamism and actually came on to do a job. You could see that he actually gave a shit. Like mm. a lot of the players seemingly don't. And I was really, I was genuinely very happy for him to get the winner. I was like, right, go on, mate, just go on and get the winner now because they like you deserve this just from how much you've clearly given a shit on the pitch. When the rest of the 90 minutes, the United players just strolled through that game mm. and kind of half arsed trying to look like they were they were trying to do something. But do we need to be concerned about Brentford? I think like and Charles are going to go to you it feels like their legs just completely went at about the 75th minute. They're clearly missing Tony. They're missing Rico Henry. The team looks unbalanced. Are they just lucky that there's a lot worse teams below them this year? Yeah, so I, I predicted that Brentford would struggle um, at the start of the season. I, I think you get sides where they're high energy, they're well drilled, and they all trust each other. And that normally lasts for a couple of seasons, whether you're right up the top and you're like a Liverpool uh, or whether you're maybe a Leeds United coming up and mm. looking really slick. But you kind of get found out at some stage. Once people know how you play um, in the Premier League, it can be cutthroat in terms of mm-hmm. a lapse of concentration or not having those fitness levels yeah. right to the end. You can get really punished. And in a world where extra time is now as long as you fancy it being, um, <laughs> I think they just really struggled by the end of it. So... Um, yeah, I, I do worry about Brentford. I don't think they'll go down, um, but I don't think they're going to be anywhere near where they want to be, which mm-hmm. I think is pushing on in the top half of the table. I think they'll be on uh, on page two, unfortunately, at the end mm-hmm. of the season. Um, on the Ivan Tony thing, what a weird scenario they found themselves in that they've almost not been able to replace him, but yeah. they quite clearly mm-hmm. miss him. Um, and seemingly, he, I don't think he wants to play for them anymore, which... It's maybe he does, maybe, maybe it's paper yeah. talk, but I mean, it's yeah. definitely looking like January might be an exit point for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I think the fact they've not got that money for him to replace him is just such a kicker in it. And I think Umbuemo and, and, and Wissa are both very exciting, like on their mm. day, great players. They just haven't got that consistency. And I think Umbuemo had a few chances this game where he could have done a little bit better. Like Wissa got lost as the game went on. I feel like, yeah, they've just not got that consistent threat that they've had. But Adam, do you think there's actually a roof or a ceiling for Brentford? Because they tried to go pretty hard in the summer. Like they offered a lot of money for Nico mm-hmm. Gonzalez from, from Fiorentina, but the players don't seemingly want to go there. Do you think there's like, like how can you improve? I mean, this was always going to be the transition for Brentford where they are kind of considered as a team that's just come up and obviously hardworking kind of individuals to now kind of trying to attract that next level. And you've seen it with other clubs, you know, your lights of Stokes, probably where they've kind of just about managed to get that kind of calibre of player because they've had kind of a stable environment. And I think with Thomas Franks, they've just got a be patient. I think it's not necessarily his coaching methods. It is, like you say, it's attracting that kind of talent, but they are quite a sensible club. They are very much like a Brighton model where they've got Mm -hmm. their kind of set up with Midtjylland in Denmark and, you know, they will have scouts across the world and the globe to kind of look at these talents. But yeah, I mean, it's only recently that Brentford have now started to go into academies, which they yeah. never did. They had that philosophy of a B team and the first team. So they've obviously diversified in that respect. So it might take a little while before they start seeing the fruition of that. 
But if we're talking about attracting those kind of players, yeah, it's going to take one or two. Now, they were lucky when they got Ericsson, right? They managed to pull mm-hmm. off Ericsson because of that Danish link. Perhaps that's maybe the where they need to kind of dive into because obviously you've seen how Rasmus Hoyland's kind of blossomed. There is some talent pool in Denmark, but it's potentially maybe trying to attract those that aren't necessarily big old scale names, should we say? Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, what I sometimes miss is those kind of, players that are close to the retirement you know the in the 30s where they were looking for one solid club where they can get a pension one last ride or whatever yeah exactly so they need someone like that a summon kier for example rory or someone Oof. of that kind of just to attract <laughs> those big names to kind of say this is brentford we are a big mm-hmm. club you know that's what it needs sometimes so yeah Potentially, they just need to crack that one signing, you know, mm. some, that, someone like that, that would bring a bit of a spark. But I can't think off the top of my head do, who do you know, could be that do, player. Go on. Do you, know, do you know what, Adam? You haven't compared their situation potentially to Stoke. I've never been able to get it out of my head. <laughs> Eric, Eric Maxim, Trooper Motting, yeah. did Stoke, then PSG, then, then Bayern. Maybe that's the kind of signing they need. Or maybe they already have someone at the club. Maybe, maybe Aaron Hickey is going to be lining up at left back for wow. Real Madrid sometime soon. Who knows? We can we can yeah. hope so. We can hope so. Um, I do also, not just because he's Irish, but I've been very impressed by Nathan Collins. I think they spent mm-hmm. a lot of money yeah, on yeah, him, yeah, yeah. but he's done really well. And him and Ayer together, I thought, again, until the 75th minute, they were outstanding. And then the defence fell apart. But they, a really good uh, defensive partnership there, I think, is blooming. But we're going to move mm. on there. Sorry. <clears throat> and we're going to go... Two, I don't know where the booing is better, Old Trafford or Goodison, but it didn't happen either <laughs> yeah. this week. Yes, yeah, um, as Everton absolutely wiped the floor with Bournemouth 3 0. James mm. Garner, a beautiful goal from Jack Harrison, um, on his first start, and of course, Everton's most prolific striker, Abdullah Decore, getting the third. Um, let's start with Everton, Adam. Um, they're never going to be consistent, we need to deal no. with that. They're just never going to be consistent, they never have been, but. Are we seeing improvement now? Are we seeing some level of improvement? Yeah, and I think this is the thing. I, I was a bit optimistic with my predictions, clearly, Rory, when I said Bournemouth would win this 3-1. Um, but Bournemouth made it so easy. And do you know what? I was looking at the stats. I was kind of looking at it and going, Everton have had 25 shots on goal. Is this the most they've had all season? And it was. It was the most they've ever had by some distance. (laughs) Like the last game, they had 23 shots on goal, which kind of shows you they've massively improved themselves in terms of that XG and, you know, they're creating opportunities. But I do kind of take that with a hint of like salt and kind of say, yeah, maybe it's the opponents that weren't at the A game here. And uh, I think obviously that was a massive win for Everton in general. And I just I hope it's a bit more consistency because we we kind of want them to have some cheer, right, Rory? Because they don't seem to win nice. much anything apart from the Everton Cup these days. But <laughs> the Everton Cup, I don't know what that is these days because it used to be kind of considered outside the top four. It's not that anymore, is it now? So, um, yeah, I've, I've massive win for them. But yeah, I was going to say to you, Rory, Bournemouth really are in trouble now. And uh, yeah, could they be the first one to make the change in terms of manager? They are absolutely banging trouble with the, just quickly with the XG. Everton have created more XG this season, sixteen point four three, than Manchester City, fifteen point six six. So they are creating a lot mm. of chances. They just cannot cannot finish them yeah. until Bournemouth rock up. But yeah, no, I think look, we all looked when Bournemouth sacked O'Neill. 
we all thought, well, that's very harsh. But there's been a few Premier League seconds in the past where you've been like, oh, that's harsh. And then it's worked out. And mm. they've gone for this manager who did incredibly well at Rio Vallecano yeah. and had this team massively overachieving, playing great football and like really exciting football. That is not what we are seeing at Bournemouth. And like, I'll go to you, Charles. When I watched them against Arsenal, I thought this is the worst team we'll face all year. Like, they were absolutely atrocious. Like, do you think they are? Are they another team that should be thankful that there's three teams worse than them? I'm not sure there are three teams worse than them. That's the problem. Um, I think so. Everyone predicted them to go down last season mm. and they hugely outperformed everyone's expectations. They're very safe in the end. In fact, not even in the end, they're very safe for a long part of the season. Yeah. Um, they are playing like a team who are, who are going down. You know, they, they look like their heads have dropped. And, you know, if we talk about sackings, they've got an international break now that I, I can't see them sacking straight away. I don't think it'd be in their interest. But their first game back, I think they've got Wolves at home. If they don't take the points from that or look credible, you do start have to look at, you know, how many points do you need to stay up? We, we had something on our podcast where we kind of predicted how many points do you need this season to stay up? And we thought it'd be a record low. Mm. Um, I think I went the lowest with about 29. Um, but I don't know where the Bournemouth get their points from. They're, they're really not looking great. But I think on the flip side, you look at Everton and, you know, their next game's at Anfield right? So mm -hmm. we're probably going to watch a 5-0 win for Liverpool and think they're straight back into that place they were, you know, two weeks ago where you think, where are they getting their points from? So um, there are there's a lot of teams down the bottom who are not playing with confidence and, you know, hopefully this gives Everton enough to look credible again and start mm -hmm. picking up points. But for Bournemouth, oh, I, I don't think even a January transfer window can do much for them. So uh, they look like a team who are maybe run out, of, run out of puffer or maybe just not yeah. got the squad that they need. So yeah, well, they they gifted us two penalties, right? <laughs> Just absolutely yeah. gifted into us. Like, oh, very generous today. What lovely hosts. Thank you very much. Like, it was comical. So I think they are possibly the worst. Like, I've seen more from Burnley and Luton without being disrespectful to those teams. <laughs> I've seen more from them to have to have hope than from Bournemouth. Um, and yeah, <clears throat> to get battered like that by Everton mm. is pretty bad. But... I do like Jack Harrison as a player. I like the fact that Everton signed him. I think it's a very clever signing. I think Dyche will get the most out of him. James Garner is starting really well as well. He's had a yeah. pretty good season so far. Um, so I think Dyche is getting slowly more out of them. Again, they just need to improve their finishing. Um, Beto not quite having the start that people had hoped. Um, let's move on to the last game we're going to kind of talk in depth about this week. And we're going to go down to the South Coast Deserby versus Klopp. They had a nice little bromance at the beginning of the game. It did. Um, Klopp describing Brighton as the best coach team in the league. Um, and Brighton took the lead through. He is the new exciting Brighton player. And he was absolutely <laughs> outstanding this game. Dream Simon Adingra. He's had a few games. Mm. But I, I felt like this game, both defensively and offensively, he was incredible. Some of his recovery runs were amazing. The amount of times I saw him cut out the ball in midfield and just play it back to the goalkeeper and just keep the possession. He was just constantly moving. It was a, it was a great finish as well. Really nice goal. Um, how impressed have you been by Adingra so far, Adam? Has he caught your eye? Because I think he's the next one that's going to go for like 280 yeah. million or whatever yeah. Brighton managed to get for him. Yeah, definitely. There was talk about it at the beginning of the season that he might be the breakthrough player this mm -hmm. season for them. And yeah, he's proving that, that he's going to be as much as any of the other players that they've had in the past, right? Um, you know, you could say that goal was very fortuitous and we'll talk about the Virgil van Dijk aspects as well into this. But I mean, 
typical kind of Brighton fashion. They kind of get these players well drilled, well gelled in terms of the system and they know what to do. And that's the most important thing for them. Um, but yeah, I felt like it was um, one of those kind of performances for Brighton where they actually um, had to fight for this point because they, they they normally are either really comfortable or they would just lose, right? Because mm-hmm. there's no in-between really with Serbi really in the way they play. But this was the first time where I think they were put under pressure. They thought they'd got away with... Uh, easy kind of lead and then they kind of got themselves back into it uh, Liverpool through Salah and obviously yeah Liverpool kind of threatened on that counter-attack a number of times before obviously they got that penalty as well um but yeah I mean and just the fashion of how Liverpool play unfortunately there is that weakness at the back and um mm-hmm. one of the points I was going to raise on this is Virgil van Dijk's kind of considered as world-class centre-back but every time that I see him make a mistake, it always seems to get covered. Like it never kind of gets inflamed and never gets highlighted as much. And people just dismiss it because of how much of an influence he is on that kind of defensive line. But actually, I think he doesn't get enough scrutiny sometimes. And is that because they just haven't got someone that can just come in and replace him? Is that the factor here? Or is there other aspects because of just the way Klopp plays it, right? Because we've known even when he was back at Dortmund, he'd always have these lapses of, of concentration when it came to the defensive work, but they were fantastic going forward. So I don't know, um, just open up that kind of topic. But I, I feel like Virgil van Dijk gets it easy at times when these kind of mistakes happen. Yeah, I'd be keen to hear Charles's thoughts on this as well. But I think he's for, he's fortunate that the centre-backs alongside him seem to make a lot of mistakes as well. Like yeah. Gomez and Matip and like whoever he's partnered with. I thought Gomez, when he came on, it was a bit of a disaster class when he came on. He was absolutely all over the place, just mm. gave away a load of fouls, kept constantly getting caught out of position. And I think that kind of takes the spotlight away from Van Dijk a little bit. I still think he's a very, very good centre-back, but he's not being helped as much as he has been in the past, and he gets exposed a bit more. Um, but how do you feel about Van Dyke's form and the passing of time? Because that kind of feels like it as well. Yeah, I, I feel he's a bit unlucky, actually. So if you think about his defensive partners, Liverpool are, you know, if I put it in very simple terms for people, they're the fantasy football nightmare because <laughs> you never know whether you're going to get Canate, Gomez True. or Matip. Yeah. And, and they're all way cheaper than the other three defenders in that defence, right? Um, so... It's hard to form that partnership. You know, we talked about Arsenal having a great partnership mm. at the moment. And actually, we didn't touch on the fact of how great Man United's Johnny Evans and Maguire are looking. But, <laughs> no, that's true. Um, <laughs> it is what it is there. But I feel it is hard to get that trust <laughs> and that gel when I can't think mm. of the last time they went three games in a row with the same centre-back yeah. partnership. And actually, I, I don't know what it would be. I assumed it would be Canate, but we, we don't always see him even when he's fit. He's sometimes on the bench. So... Mm. Um, he's passed his best, right, Van Dyke. I think we all agree he was, you know, at that level where he can be mm. best ever centre-back and all of that. But unfortunately, he's, he's maybe in a defence that isn't quite working. Alisson does a lot of work for them, doesn't he? He that does. Kind of makes he might as well be the centre-back, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. He does fish him out of shit a lot, Alisson. <laughs> like, he pulls off something. Even the Spurs game, he pulled off two or three centres yeah. that were outstanding. Mm. Um, but we do need to give... Brighton, their credit. They got the goal to equalise towards the end through Lewis Dunk. Um, and I just think that it was good for them, as you said, and to have the kind of steadying mm. of the ship. A kind of, okay, we've not scored a load. We've not conceded a load. We've just yeah. got a result and it's been relatively calm, relatively comfortable. Um, we do have to say Mohamed Salah, 
Time does not affect that man. He seems no. to continue regardless. Um, the physical shape on that guy is unbelievable. He gets another two goals. Um, and yeah, Liverpool still, I think, massively involved in the title race. They're going to have a huge, yeah. huge mm-hmm. say in it. Um, they are. They do look very, very good. It was also nice to see McAllister being paraded around the ground mm. after the game by Deserby, who was kind of telling him, no, this is your chance to take in your applause. Um, and yeah, that was really, really beautiful to see. Um, elsewhere, to wrap up the Premier League very quickly, Tottenham won against 10 men against Luton. And Ooh. everyone, yeah, everyone <laughs> seemed more obsessed with how Son put a microphone down than anything Tottenham did on the pitch. Um, Sheffield United, of course, lost to Fulham through in the towel there. Chelsea mm. won again. Nicholas Jackson scoring. Raheem Sterling tearing it up as they beat Burnley 4-1. Crystal Palace, Nottingham Forest, that happened. Um, Kudos got his first goal yeah. for West Ham in the Premier League. A beautiful equaliser. Um, if you've not seen the video of Stone Boy, the Ghanaian rapper, um, both <laughs> mental, pre- yeah. and post-match, um, his videos are absolutely box office. Mm. Um, and then Wolves drew one all with Aston Villa, Mario Lamina being sent off. A very controversial um, last second, Ollie Watkins pushed in the back hit the post, penalty not given. Um, Saw lots of Villa fans upset about that. But before we move on, anything else to talk about? Um, Oh, Tottenham with 10 men. No, you're right. Yes. Um, Yeah, Basuma did a disgusting dive. Disgusting. (laughs) We hate to see that. Lots of moralising. But there is a bit of a theory behind this because obviously it was second yellow card. Before that, he was on the cusp of being suspended anyway because he accumulated so many yellow cards. So the f- conspiracy here is oh, whether is he decided to do that to ensure that he was cleared for the next available games. Although you'd do it in the 90th minute, wouldn't you? Yeah. Just give a chance, right? <laughs> maybe, he's, maybe he's not that intelligent. Maybe he, he missed the last part of the sentence. Can I give my hot take on Basuma? Go for it. Because everyone said, what a transformation, what a player. Um, I think he's a bit of a hatchet man in disguise. So uh, I don't want to be too bitter about it because it's mm-hmm. two game weeks ago and we've just beaten City. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the, the two all draw at the Emirates, uh, well, there's, you know, rightly so, a lot of praise for Spurs. They had the most fouls has been in any mm-hmm. Premier League game for the entire season. So mm-hmm. we're, we're, what, 80 games in now. Uh, Spurs did more fouls than any other team. They're just, they're quietly, they're just, mm-hmm. it's those canny little things. It's what Chelsea used to do, but Chelsea won. I think stuff, this is. So. I think this is part of the PR from Ange. This is like, be Definitely. such a nice guy that people don't notice that your team are absolutely shit houses. Yeah. Um, but we're going to leave our Arsenal bias aside there and move on to Serie A as, well, just absolute scenes. A game that I thought was just <laughs> petering out into nothing. I thought, thank God I stuck around. Kanye West was in attendance and he got to see Olivier Giroud don the gloves in Genoa as Milan win 1-0. Genoa's keeper was then sent off as he went up to try and score an equaliser and fouled someone on the edge of the box. It all kicked off. Um, Adam, what a game. And that's before we even talk about the VAR controversy. Yeah, absolutely incredible. I mean, if you think about Milan, now they've come to the top spot now in Serie yep. A. You know, I mean, we wouldn't have said that a few games ago. 
um, purely somehow manages to carry on with his nine lives. And uh, yeah, Milan Milan just did that typical thing. They ground out a result. Um, you know, and I think um, Giroud kind of typified it after the game. He kind of mentioned that they were all lions, the way they kind of heroically stood up to the challenge. You know, Genoa were a team on form as well. We have to mm -hmm. say that. I mean, although they're probably not, you know, running away with it, let's put it that way. They've been really incredible in terms of the games and they've played recently. I mean, they displaced Napoli a few weeks ago. And, you know, just to come in to this game, Goodmundson was obviously on the hot tip form as well. Um, but yeah, um, they dealt with it really quite well, Milan, I have to say. Um, if anything, maybe they just weren't offensive enough at times, to be honest. Um, but you saw a lot more of it than myself. Um, what did you make of Genoa and in particular Milan's defence? Well, I think, look, Milan, we need to say, um, for Kyle Tomori, um, mm. obviously Gareth Gar Southgate isn't listening, but <laughs> Milan have only conceded two goals this season when he's been on the pitch. Yeah. He was an absolute monster. He's been outstanding. I think you also have to say this was a massively rotated Milan team as well. Like, there was five changes. The midfield was Rinders, Adley and Musa to start. Like, this yeah. was a kind of – you have to praise purely for using his squad. And, yeah. like – bringing on Pulisic when it's needed, bringing on Leao when it's needed, but yeah. getting those, letting the legs rest. And I think the players that came in did really well. I still think we're not seeing enough from Chukweze. I think his final product yeah. is yeah. kind of predictable, maybe. He's a lot of like, he kind of gives me Jovino vibes. <laughs> and it is, he's a lot of like showboating and tricks and running around and like dynamic. Yeah, but true. his final ball just isn't there. I think I was really disappointed by him. But Okafor is a player who's just making incredible runs into the box, always getting on the end of the ball. I feel like he could mm. have got one. He was very unlucky with one shot. Yeah. Luka Jovic was obviously disappointing. I'm still not sure why they uh, signed him. Yeah, I'm him. not convinced by him. No. <laughs> I'm just, I, I think he's just a, a warm body on a pitch at this point. Like it's just, <laughs> we need someone to fulfill that role that we have to oblige um i don't know why he's there but a lot of the other players that came in i thought did really well yeah uh, we talked about adley um, yeah. another good performance from him musa in midfield has been again we talked about him he's not getting the headlines mm. like like pulisic but i think as an all-round player um it was just another great performance and i think yeah milan using their squad very well i thought as you said they should have been more ambitious they could have mm. It's very like cliche Italian where they didn't go for the second goal. And like, guys, just kill the game, kill the game. Genoa were getting encouraged a little bit. They were starting to try and push. But then Genoa, they just didn't have that. They were moving the ball too slowly. They weren't quick enough. They weren't dragging Milan out of position. And they just became very, um, very predictable. And then the ending was the least predictable. Like, Charles, maybe we were missing a trick at Arsenal not having Giroud in goal. Like, we, he, he couldn't <laughs> score for ages. We just should, should have stuck him in there. I mean, first and foremost, he's a beautiful man. Yeah. And if they're not using him to advertise the goalkeeper's kit next season, they are missing, <laughs> missing a trick. If, if he carries on, I mean, the guy's getting older, but he's kind of getting better, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I pretty... He plays my style of goalkeeper. Just shut your eyes, come out, put some hands up. <laughs> Hope for the best. <laughs> Throw yourself at it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. He's um, he's got a clean sheet. Good yep. for him, right? Yeah. One um, more than Andre Onana. Just needs oh. to do that. one more than Andre Onana. Yeah, I think um, they're the kind of matches that you you remember when you win a league title, and I mm. think the way Milan is shaping up, 
they've accumulated a lot of points, right? It's one of those things where they could easily have dropped points here. Mm-hmm. Pulisic has obviously settled. You know, they they bought in a lot of players this summer and there was a feeling that it's going to go one or two ways, right? Mm-hmm. Either it's really astute and good for you, you've reinvented a team, mm-hmm. um, or it's just going to be you know, worse than the sum of its parts. But um, I, I thought they looked good. I thought they deserved it. Um, and I like those fairy tale games. Yeah. You know, I, I thought Pulisic took the opportunity very well. I know there's some VAR stuff, but I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I follow the referee yeah. experts. They followed the rules. On first look, when I saw it, I was like, oh, no, he's just controlled it really well. He's just, he's, he's rolled off his chest. He's brought it down. Beautiful finish. I thought, no, that's, that's never a handball. And then obviously, as there always is, there's another angle. And then you're like, oh, wait, that's a massive handball. Like, Adam, how do you feel about it? I've still not quite made my mind up because the, the image, the ball is behind his arm. So it's hard mm. to tell if he actually made contact or not. But inter Twitter seemed to be pretty convinced. His <laughs> yeah, I can imagine contact. they were. Yeah, I, I think it's not clear enough to call it substantially. It's either mm-hmm. the way of a handball or not. Um, I think it's because it's that top half where that ambiguity is, whether it's his shoulder slash arm that he's controlled the ball and the way it bounces. I think it's very hard for anyone to call that. So personally, I would just say, yeah, just give the goal personally, because Mm -hmm. it's just so hard to kind of see, unless you can definitively get it from a different angle, which might have not been available. But yeah, I, I think it's too hard to call that one. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I think the right decision was made overall. Um, I do also just need to say because outfield, we're just going to keep going back to it. Olivier Giroud lining up the wall as well for the free kick, <laughs> trying to act like he knew what he was doing was really, really beautiful. He was there for like 10 minutes trying to like, get it sorted out, sorted out, and then it just like freakishly bounce um, bounces off the crossbar. Like, yeah, all planned out. See, you're in the exact right place. Um, yeah, massive, massive win for, for Milan. As you said, puts them two points clear of Cross City rivals Inter, who have now, in their last three games, they've only won one. They lost and drawn. They are slowly dropping points. And this game against Bologna, it really should have been home and dry they were two nil up within the first 15 minutes at Cherubi mm. and of course Lautaro getting the goals but they just allowed Bologna to get back into it my guy Ricardo Orsolini scoring again Bologna just absolutely transformed with him in the team I love it and Adam we jinxed him of course Joshua Xerxes <laughs> gets his Xerxes. first goal of the season beautiful little goal but let's before we heap praise on Bologna let's talk about Inter um, we've we've talked about them not being clinical enough in games. Mm-hmm. This is seemingly an issue now. Yeah. yeah, and it's not for the lack of trying, is it, to be fair? Mm. I think this is a thing. Like You could look at that game and kind of say, well, they're not clinical enough, but actually they had plenty of chances. I think what probably frustrated Inzaghi more was the way that they kind of gave away the goals. Um, mm-hmm. If it wasn't for those kind of two goals that they gave away quite cheaply, if you think about the penalty incident, as well as Xerxes, who we have to say that composure was incredible. I mean, I, I didn't know wh- where he was going to go with that ball eventually, but the way he kind of just calmly slots it into the corner was just insanity. Um, but also Bologna, you have to give credit as well, the way they fought back from this and you know, they've got this kind of little spark halfway through the season where they kind of put it on. They just turn it on, don't they? They just seem to just be so comfortable with each other and the way they play. But um, yeah, 
massive frustration for Inzaghi because you know he wants to get this Scudetto. He wants to get this title because he doesn't want to be labelled another cup manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they are massively disappointed. And I said at the beginning of the season, yes, they might look like the favourites, but they do have a wobbly in them. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. they are just getting into that position. But props to uh, Lotaro. I mean, that goal was a thunderbolt. And um, he's a, fir- a third player in Inter's history to have scored double figures within eight games as well. Um, so, yeah, some record that guy is. And everyone moans about him not being clinical enough, yet he's top of the goal-scoring charts, isn't he? I think this year that cannot be levelled at him anymore. No. I think last year there was there was patches where he disappeared a little bit, but this year he seems like he's on a mission. And mm. he has, like, I think the, 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 the advantage that Inter have is that they are the one team who seemingly have that striker in Serie A. Like, yeah. you look at Milan, they don't have that striker who's going to get you 30 goals. Juve... Thought they did, but they don't. Like Fiorentina, <laughs> don't. Napoli did, but now they don't. Like Charles, do you think that Martinez could be the difference if he continues this form? Because as I said, nobody else has that talismanic. Yeah, man. I, I think one of the things Inter have really struggled with is they. So they're a high possession team. If you look at the game, they had six hundred passes, which. Mm-hmm. To put that in comparison to anyone who doesn't kind of uh, read passes figures, why would you, I suppose? <laughs> Arsenal and Man City both put in about 500 against each other. The kind of tick-attacker teams, small triangles, will get about 500. So for Inter to have 600 with an 87% pass accuracy, that's phenomenal. And that normally equals a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so although Martinez has been clinical as a team, you need to get that ball in the back of the net and you need to see off those games because if you're that dominant and that far ahead in that midfield kind of battle mm-hmm. um you really you know we should have been seeing four or five goals if i'm yeah. honest uh so maybe it's a confidence thing maybe they need to play their way into some better form i'm not sure they clearly are getting goals they're top goal scorers in the league it's great um but you you've got to see off teams when you're you're that dominant mm-hmm. otherwise it will just come back to bite you and you've not really got that much you can learn from it Mm-hmm. Uh, when you do play well and you don't get the win, um, you're just left feeling like you've you know you've lost something basically. Yeah, just um, a little bit gutted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I do want to give props to Bologna. I'm still saying they're going to get European football this year. They had a bit of a ropey start to the to the season, but they've got the big hitters back. They've got Orsolini back. Um, there's a few players. Lewis Ferguson is a player that I'm very very excited about. He had a great season last season as well. Bukema at the back. Motta. I still insist is one of the most exciting coaches in Serie A at mm. the moment. Um, yeah. Adam, we're seeing a rise and they do play some lovely football and they do have that never say die. They just keep going, keep going, yeah. keep going. They know the plan. I love them. Yeah, there's so many superlatives at Motta, yeah. and I think he is genuinely a candidate for a big role going forward. I mean, I think Napoli. there's kind of... Napoli. Well, Napoli. could it... I think he's holding himself out personally for Inter. I think yeah, when the occasion possibly. happens, he'll yeah. go back to Inter. But um, yeah, I mean, he's had to prove himself again, hasn't he? Because he was obviously had a great spell at Spezia, mm-hmm. then was dropped out of there, sacked, unfortunately, and then brought into Bologna in the circumstances where, you know, it, it didn't start off quite well, but he's managed to persuade them and won them over. Um, but I think one of the players that goes really under the radar is Lewis Ferguson, who another mm-hmm. Scott that ends up in Bologna playing fantastically well. 
Um, it's incredible because he was dismissed by Rangers as not being good enough, and yet he ends up in Bologna and performing like he is right now. Um, so, yeah, he's he's a player that typifies that Bologna spirit. And I, I feel like now Motta's kind of aspect is how does he transform Bologna to being more than just workmanlike, but also, you know, have the kind of flair about them and, you know, offer a bit more offensively. I think that's where, you know, players like obviously Orsolini have been holding that kind of aspect together. But, you know, Arnautovic going has probably given the opportunity to Xerxes. Now let's see what else they can add to that team. I'm really excited about Bologna and, you know, Bologna just feels like an FM challenge, doesn't it? Just get them into Europe, right? Yeah. Absolutely, they are my current FM save, and I'm absolutely honestly Orsolini's such a killer on it, is unbelievable. Um, but yeah, they've got a really, really interesting recruitment um going on there because they've got Marco De Vaio as the sporting director, mm. as 2000 Serie A fans will remember. Yeah. Um, and Giovanni Sartori, now I think he's the technical director, he worked at Napoli, I want to say, and he worked at Atalanta. Um, so they've got some really good, sensible staff upstairs that are bringing in some really exciting young players. Um, so a team to definitely keep an eye on, and yeah, giving Motta the patience that he deserves. Like respect here, they were doing very well with him for a mm. bit until they yeah. weren't. Um, and it's good to see him. <laughs> It's good to see him um, getting time to to improve this squad because they're a very, very exciting team to watch. So Bologna 2, Inter 2, lovely stuff. Um, we're going to move on to probably the game of the weekend, um, almost definitely the game of the weekend. Um, Adam, you sat and watched it. Some lovely Sunday evening viewing oh. as Napoli get embarrassed at home. The rumours are starting again. Rudy Garcia's head is on the block. It seemed like he'd saved himself. Napoli 1, Fiorentina 3. Um, you struggled to sum up this game in three minutes. It was absolute chaos. <laughs> there was just too much to unpack <laughs> in three minutes, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, no, genuinely was an incredible match. Um, Napoli started off the match really poorly um, and, you know, invited too much pressure from Fiorentina, but that's also credit to Fiorentina and the press that they kind of continued throughout the whole duration of the match. It wasn't just for that brief period in that first half. I mean, they were so good. Um, and, you know, within seven minutes, Josip Broccolo gets a loose ball that hits the crossbar. You were mentioning, Rory, that that was your best impressions of being in goal for your five-a-side equivalent. Is, <laughs> that is me in goal when someone turns around to me and goes, get in there. I'm like, oh, for God's sake. He just half threw his foot at it. And then the ball comes out and he just opens his legs. <laughs> like it was the And if it wasn't that bad into. enough, Di Lorenzo also gets a nick on oh. it before it actually gets into the net as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if the game was summed up by one kind of aspect of the game or, you know, a particular scene that I saw was Osserman's frustration with the way that they were playing. So many times he was uh, like doing the press and going, where the fuck is everyone? You know, everyone was like behind the ball. They weren't supporting him. And I, I think the kind of scene that clipped it off was when he was taken off. I mean, he kind of visibly takes off his mask in disgust. He, mm -hmm. he looks like a man that if Rudy Garcia doesn't get sacks, then he's wanting to transfer out of there in January. You know, he's had so much grief from the current management as well as Garcia's management on the pitch. 
I mean, it's just so frustrating for him because, you know, this isn't the Napoli that we associated from last season, but this man isn't the person to have in that squad. And ironically, it was Italiano and the way that they played was really impressive. That He should he be the man that's actually won. down there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Basically, this played. is the thing. Yeah. But we have to also give credit to the players that Fiorentina have, like Duncan and Artur. Artur, a player that we dismissed. Well, I dismissed, you didn't. I'm um, so yeah. happy. I'm so happy, honestly. <laughs> but based on his Liverpool games, you know, yeah, you would yeah, have yeah, thought yeah. that was him. And then obviously Coyote on the right back mm. duties. Incredible. I was looking mm. him up in terms of his age. He's only 19 years old and yeah. he looks incredible. And I heard today, I spoil it for you, Rory, but apparently Arsenal scouts have been looking at him. He looks like a potential player that they might be taking a bid on. And if they do, that'll be a fantastic right back for Arsenal um, because yeah, yeah. he looks so mature. And he gave, you know, Farad Skelia, who we're talking about being that creative spark on the left hand side, very quiet. It was isolated. Yeah. Coyote did really well. And once, even when Farad Skelia had a run on him, he defended really well. Mm-hmm. He didn't seem like he struggled at all. And you wouldn't have guessed it for his age that he was so mature on the ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's so many aspects to look at as well, Rory, because, mm-hmm. you know, Fiorentina with a second, Bonaventura, I think it's his, he's scored five goals now past Napoli. I mean, this is just incredible. 35 like. years, right? That guy is like, I love how old players in Serie A is just timeless, man. I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. Um, he's been incredible for them. He's yeah. like absolutely the talisman. I think, um, yeah, you're right to shout out Coyote. Again, shutting down Kvaratskhelia. I thought Kvaratskhelia had a few moments where I was like, it almost looked like we were getting him back. Mm. He had a few moments where he kind of yeah, dropped yeah. the defender. He was shifting inside. And I was like, okay, right. He's, his head's in the game, but he just wasn't able to get that that production at the end. I think you're right because the rest of the team wasn't really with him. It was him and no. Austin just looking back at a midfield who were kind of 30 yards behind him. I feel like the team spirit has definitely disappeared. Definitely disappeared. Um, and yeah, Rudy Garcia making very, very odd substitutions yes. um yeah. so he takes off needing a goal taking so he off takes Osserman. off Osserman and Lobotka and Azulinski, the two obviously. yeah the, the two sparks really and all of a sudden shock the game completely their, their threat dies I think Simeone had one chance at the end that yeah. he, he kind of got close um but Charles I don't know the <laughs> Your attitude towards Rudy Garcia, we're really not impressed with him in general. Why do, do you think it's a battle now between him and the talismanic striker of like, I'm going to show you that I'm boss? Because there's no other reason to really be taking him off. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? You sometimes get managers who just don't fit at a club and it's not necessarily because they're a bad manager. It just, for whatever reason, it doesn't work. And I mean, for for Osserman, there's two ways a player leaves a club, right? They either stink the place out mm-hmm. and everyone wants them to leave or they just keep turning in good results or, you know, putting the ball in the net yeah. or even whatever that, you know, their, their role is within the team. And I think for Osserman, he looks like he just, he could, couldn't be further away from Napoli right now mentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And rightly so, some of the stuff off the pitch, not great. And what's happening on the pitch, I can't quite put my finger on it. They, they don't have the same energy as last mm-hmm. season. And I don't know whether because they've mm-hmm. realised getting, you know, winning, uh, you know, the league, maybe it's taken away from their hunger or their yeah, thirst yeah. for it. Um, but it just doesn't stack up and Garcia is not adding any zest to it. You know, I don't get excited by his football. Mm -hmm. I think you've predicted for him to leave before Christmas and I don't think you're that far off. Something I did notice from all the weekend's results is 
um, my take on it is every team that lost this weekend is respectively in trouble. So the majority of the teams that lost, I think, are going to be in the bottom six. So 15th mm-hmm. downwards. Mm. Sorry, sorry, lads. I don't think that's working out well. But yeah. Napoli with the other yeah. team that lost, and I think for them, they are really going to struggle to to hit top four, which is mm. insane when you think about it. But you look at what Fiorentina have done now. This is 13 points in the last five games. That's the kind of momentum where you suddenly find yourself getting a small gap. Yeah. If they can get a good mm. run into Christmas, just keep this momentum going and almost quietly getting incredible results. Uh, it will be hard for Napoli unless they get motivated and really got to say can, can do something there. Uh, I, I do worry for them, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it looked like they turned a bit of a corner post TikTok um, and post all <laughs> yeah. that. And now it does again, all of a sudden feel like the players are just waiting mm. for him to get sacked. They're just like, oh, don't bother listening to this. You know, like when Roy Hodgson was at Liverpool, just like, yeah. Yeah, he won't be here much longer, boys, don't worry. Um, there was massive vibes of that at the end. But we need to give Fiorentina credit. They were outstanding. Mm. Italiano, again, coached, as Adam said, Napoli. He was the one they should have got. He was right there. They should have approached him. For some reason, they didn't. Um, and yeah, they quietly... And slowly, their squad is looking very, very... Or their starting eleven is looking very strong. I think Brecolo yeah. from Torino gets his first goal. Um, very clever signing from Torino. A player who kind of been quietly doing his business, yeah. as Torino do. Um, Bonaventura, again, outstanding. Arthur in midfield. I thought this move would be his reinvention because there's no pressure. Mm. There's just like... He's a player who's played at these elite clubs. He's probably won the Champions League because he was at Barcelona. Yeah. Like, he's done all these things. And he's going into a club that's just that little slight level down. Sorry, Fiorentina. And he's just mm. bringing everyone up with him. I think it was a really good performance from him. And Parisi as well. Both yeah. the wingbacks were fantastic. Like Parisi's another player at Empoli we've been very excited about for a while. Right, Adam? Yeah, he's been one of the most consistent dribblers last season mm-hmm. uh, from a left-back position. And um, again, he was one focal point for them in terms of their attacks. And he was one that set up Nico Gonzalez for the third one. So, I mean, that was all down to him. Obviously, he had a little bit of a incident where he gave away that penalty where he kind of yeah. gets gets a ball back to Torrechano and Torrechano can't do anything apart from bring down Austin men for that penalty. Um but yeah I mean I, I thought otherwise his game was really solid. Um and that's probably the the one tweak that you'd say is just getting that consistency right in terms of reading the game properly. If he gets that right he's in the Azuri team isn't he Rory? Um because mm-hmm. yes. yeah, yeah he's been incredible as well. But yeah, Italy have now becoming like Scotland. They're sport for left backs now. It seems like <laughs> wing back. Where, where, where's, where's that happened? <laughs> I, I, gen- I genuinely thought Scotland were becoming like Italy, but it's nice to hear it the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. So we're going to wrap up Serie A elsewhere in the most boring derby in Italy. Juventus win two 0 against <laughs> Torino. Gatti and Arkadius Milik. Yeah. What a signing for Juve. He's been getting the goals. Torino just, oh God, it was all so pointless. I sat and watched it and I was just like, being a Torino fan, is, it must just be like being in purgatory, just endless. Can, can I just quickly endless. ask, why was Milinkovic Savage doing a Ramsdale impression? Every what? corner is jumping out and like, even though he got Awful. done for one of them for the yeah. goal. like The Gatti goal was really bad. It was really bad. Yeah, it was terrible. Every corner uh, that I saw, Milinkovic Savage just doing his best Superman impression. It was just so <laughs> And Gatti, 
Gatti getting his first goal for the club against the club he rejected he in it. Torino <laughs> um, just to rub salt in the wounds. He's now played from Echelenza right up to Serie A, yeah, I think, he, Gatti. He grew, he um, he's off, played yeah. all the levels in um, in Italian football. So as much as as much stick he gets from Juve fans, because they're not a nice bunch, his career is very, very impressive. Mm. Um, Lecce drew one all in Sassuolo. Adam, nobody fucked it up. They just decided, <laughs> they shook hands and decided they'd take a point. Um, Monza beat Salerno. Nitana 3-0, another team that look absolutely yep. bang in trouble. Colpani getting another goal. He's now scored in the last five home games for Monza, I want to say. Um, Frosinone beating Verona 2-1. Oh, let's, Kidera not, didn't... Let's, let's, let's not, I mean... Frosinone, you're, you're a fan, the weekend. Right? I, I'm a new fan. I basically nice. rated their <laughs> kit as the best it's kit beautiful. of all time. Got told by my co-host it's a golfing shirt, but I don't believe it. No. Um, never <laughs> has a team looked so solid in Serie A after going up. I love them. It's, yeah. it, it's honestly yeah, incredible. It's I, I didn't think Di Francesco would be doing such a good job because the way it went mm-hmm. at Roma, it ended catastrophically badly. Um, but I think him again yeah. with that Serie A um, experience, they brought in some good players. They've got some mm-hmm. Kadira still. Yeah. He needs to he needs to score for my Fanta Calcio. He needs to be getting <laughs> more goals. Um, but they have got some very exciting players in that team. Yeah, they yeah. beat Verona 2-1. It looks like it's going to be another long season for Verona. Um, Lazio 3, Atalanta 2. Shead Kalasinac getting a goal, <laughs> which is always lovely to see. I think the calamitous score was to Ketelez, though. What was oh, he doing God. for the... F- First one, it kind of bounces off him into the net. I mean, it's he just, doesn't it's help terrible. himself. He <laughs> becomes a meme so quickly to Catalonia. Like Milan fans absolutely despise him, but yeah, he doesn't help himself. Um, but Sadi lives, fights to live another day. Yeah. Um, Vecino For gets now. the winner. Atalanta still not looking great this season at all. Um, but the last game I wanted to talk about was Cagliari one, Roma four, and the mm. the headlines here are Mourinho can work wonders with strikers. So in eight <laughs> games, Lukaku has got seven yeah. goals. But even more miraculously, the guy who didn't get a single goal last season, Bellotti, has got five goals in nine games. All of a sudden, now the rumours about Mourinho being sacked were always false, but mm. Roma have got a very exciting ta- attacking team, right? It's, it's looking pretty exciting. We were purring about them at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we thought they'd brought in some really good additions, uh, even Indica, obviously coming from Frankfurt. You've got Aurore uh, from Lyon, who's a bit inconsistent. But then you kind of thought, well, under Mourinho's tutelage, he might be a bit more consistent. Um, so, yeah, I mean, attacking-wise, they certainly look the business. Uh, I think it's just getting the consistency to fit mm-hmm. Mourinho's style of football. Um, you know, we've seen Pellegrini start off the bench, so he hasn't necessarily been a starter. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, also we have to give him credit for the fact that he's kind of embodied that trust with youngsters as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he's with Bove is a typical example of that. You know, Zalewski, when he's come in, he's done a duty. But yeah, I mean, up top, he's rejuvenated Lukaku. Lukaku needed that for his own career, if anything. You know, he needed to show that he is still kind of a big deal. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's going to have to take up a bit more front now that the Dybala injury happens and yeah, I'm hoping it's not as bad as it seems because um, yeah, you could see Dybala's physically like gone when that kind of injury happens and it's quite an innocuous one because it's one of those that it feels like it's, I've had that in football where, you know, you get kind of with the knees clashing with your thigh or your knee itself and it's just more of a bruising but obviously 
we know about his state with his hamstrings and also his knees injuries as well in the past. So this could be a quite a big deal for him. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, maybe they're grateful that Belotti's got some form. And Belotti's another player that... Although he is a decent the striker. The mid, he was always a top goal scorer for Torino. Yeah. And I think last season he was probably carrying an injury, which is yeah. why he did so badly for the majority of last season. I was surprised he was still there, to be fair, for this season. But... I think Marino just trusts him because he can see that he actually gives a damn. He wants yeah, to yeah. be there. And um, that's what Marino likes. He likes players that will fight for their careers, you know, wants mm. to be part of it. And um, maybe this is the trust that he's getting. He's being repaid with goals now. And um, let's see where it takes him. But I don't see that being the formidable kind of lineup for every game. I mean, you know, those two against Calgary, Calgary are terrible sides. They're yeah, going to get relegated at this rate. And Ranieri, I'd be surprised if he's still in the role. So... Yeah, should have just let Barry go up. They cheat. <laughs> yeah. they, they beat Barry in the last five seconds and they put in these performances. Honestly, I'm fuming. But if you've not seen it, um, it's from the Europa League, but the post-match conference interview with Mourinho where he brings in, now I want to get his name right, Francesco D'Alessio, the 19-year-old. Mm, have you seen yes. this? Yeah. He brings him into the press conference and he says, like, this guy was on the curva. He's been Roma all his life. Yeah. He used to stand outside the training ground begging the players for autographs. The and gates. now he's playing in front of them. Mm. He's like, Mourinho knows how to do PR. He knows oh, he how to loves play it, up to the camera. He? But you see moments like that. And I think I retweeted it just saying, sometimes he is just a lovely bloke. And you're like, oh, yeah, I bet yeah, you are man. decent to go for a beer with. Like, I think he is genuinely a decent manager in that respect yeah, yeah. he's got he's, that kind of man management skills hasn't he go on charles he's always struck me as he'd be a good dad wouldn't he yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be very fair and actually quite loving behind the scenes yeah. i absolutely love that interview but guys we are gonna leave it there i think mm. for this week we've we've covered it all we've covered it all we've come yeah. up to a international break another one I know. We're going around so quickly these days. Uh, we've got two weeks off. Um, we are, of course, still going to be coming here. We're going to figure out stuff to talk about. We're going to have to find. Of course, we are. About. Um, I'm going to rant about how England are insisting Bakayo Saka plays uh, for a good 20 minutes. Um, that'll fill 20 minutes, right? Um, but Charles, thank you for coming onto the show. If, yeah. well, not if, when our viewers and listeners want to find out what you do, where do they find? Where do they find you on social media? Well, first things first, what a delight to be on a show where the pronunciation of names and teams, places, superb. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, you can find me on socials, uh, Chuck Davey, or failing that, Monday Sportif. I'm sure you will leave that in the show notes, and mm -hmm. I'm sure I shall be getting involved with that. But yeah, absolute privilege. Lovely to be on here, and uh, what a weekend of football it was. Mate, absolutely great Mate. to have you on. Thank you. Adam, anything to say before I send these lovely people off? No great episode as ever, and we'll see your faces very well soon. Beautiful. Well, guys, thank you for joining us. You can hit the like and subscribe button roughly around here. You can follow us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod, and on TikTok at Anglo Italian Pod. We will be back. We will see you on Friday. Grazie e arrivederci. Ciao. Ciao. Podcast Network. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.